What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. Okay, we left off in uh, chapter 2, verse 14. And um, so let's pick it up in 15, please. All right. It says, catch the foxes. It could also be translated jackals. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyard. For our vineyards, and highlight our because you see the word us and our. He is speaking, and she has memorized his words. And this is his last sentence here that she is quoting because it's what he has already said. And he is speaking with us and our. Church, listen, you're not alone. He's with you. He's with you. And he speaks because this is his reality of how he sees things. Our, us. He's speaking like that over you and over me. He says, he says the little foxes, catch them, that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossoms. There's a couple things that I want you to note here. Our vines, our vines, our vines. Our vines, they speak of areas of our life where there is a spiritual flow. Jesus said in John 15, what? I am the what? I'm the vine. And if you, if you remain in me, you'll but you bear much fruit. I'm the vine, you're the branches. And so this, this flow, if you will, the life sap, if you will, could represent the flow of the Holy Spirit because when you are cut off, the flow is stopped. And so what foxes would do because they are cunning, crafty little animals, they would come in the cover of night, nobody would see them, and they would begin to cut off the bottom of the vine to get that sap, to get that wetness. And when that happened, what would happen to the, the grapes? They would die off. I want you to understand something. Foxes are not bold. They're not strong lions. They, 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 they don't attack during the day like lions. They're quick. They're subtle. They're crafty. They're hard to catch. They come to destroy things in the night. And so here... Jesus is saying, hey, guys, listen, listen, there's little foxes that you need to watch out for. See, we can, we can catch the clumsy bear in the garbage can that's banging stuff around. We, we see that, we hear that, but a fox, you don't see it. And so maybe for you, hey, you know what, I've come into Christ and I'm not in sexual immorality anymore because I realize I've got to wait till my wedding day. So I'm going to walk in purity now. Sexual immorality could be like a big bear. But it's the subtle things. Listen to this list. And ask the Holy Spirit, okay, are the, has this gotten in in any way? Pride. Pride. Slander. Anger. Laziness. Wasting time. Gluttony, worldly thinking, speaking too quickly, quick to listen, slow to speak, right? Defending ourselves. Man, I was just in a conversation this week and I started defending myself. What is that? It's pride. Being touchy or critical towards other people. Critical spirit, you're just negative about everything. A complaining spirit. What about being impatient with others? Yeah, when you were driving to church today. I had a Joe Sunday driver with his window rolled down. I was behind, and he didn't even have the, the lid and the cup. He just had the regular coffee cup, the ceramic one. And he's just, you know. And I'm like, bro. 
being impatient, neglecting prayer? What about exaggeration? Exaggeration about what we're doing for God or juicing up the story a little bit. Self-importance. Having an independent spirit. So it's me, myself, and I. I don't open up to anybody. I don't trust anybody. It's an independent spirit. I, I got this. Man, so if I said, okay, if you today were convicted of any one of those little foxes, go ahead and lift your hand, right? I think, yeah, that's all of us. If not, denial's not just a river in Egypt. <laughs> denial's not just a river in Egypt, baby. Listen, Subtle foxes, right? These are things that we can just do. And if we're not conscious of the, the, the presence of God and conscious with walking with God, oh, create in me a clean heart, a pure heart, renew a right spirit before me. God, I need you. Give me wisdom. Give me discernment. I can be in a conversation and defend myself, justify myself, blame, deflect. And if I'm not conscious of the presence of God, I can walk out of that conversation with blinders on my eyes, and then now walk away blaming that person. They lack discernment. This is why David cried out, search me and know me. Search me and know me. See these little foxes, guys. They're hard to catch. They're hard to see. And so we need to pray continually for the Lord's help in this area. Please, Lord. I'm prone to compromise at times. Please, Lord, my heart has grown cold and apathetic. Please, Lord, I've been creating a pattern in my life where, man, I feel you prompting me to, to get off of YouTube and to go be with you, but, man, I just love YouTube. That, that's, that's one of mine. I do love YouTube, man, especially the new shorts. You know, I could just go, I don't know. Sixteen. My beloved is mine and I am his. What a powerful statement. What a powerful statement. He grazes. Another, another way of saying that is he pastures his flock among the lilies. Remember? So two, chapter 2, verse 1. Right? She's a, she's a lily of the valley, but he comes back and he says, no, 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 baby, listen, you are a lily and everything around you is a bramble. Everything around you is a thorn. Everything around you is cursed. You're my lily dilly. But here it's saying he grazes and he pastures his flock among the lilies, plural. What does that mean? More than one. That means this morning. That means what's declared in Revelation chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. That he turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, which represents the church. And in the midst of the lampstands or the church, one like the son of man. Do you know he's in here right now grazing among his lilies? Because, see, it is an impossible task for a pastor to proclaim a message and touch every person. This is why, listen, you, got, you have to open yourself up to the Spirit and say, Jesus, what is it for me? What is it for me? You can't listen to a sermon apart from the Holy Spirit. It's not collecting information. What is it for me? And so he is among the lilies. I was thinking about this. I'm like, you know what? If the men in this church had a men's group called the Gathering of the Lilies. <laughs> Bro, I ain't coming to that, homie. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a lily. Huh. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> fellas, fellas, in the hallway after church, you know, get that dab. Hey, bro. What up, my lily? What up, my lily? Lilylicious. I could keep going. Matthew 6. Listen, 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 listen. Matthew 6, 28, it says, and this is Jesus talking. He says, he's speaking to people on the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is how to live in the kingdom of God 101, right? And it says this, why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies and how they grow. They don't toil or spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory wasn't arrayed like one of these. Why do I? Why am I anxious about clothing or this or this or this? Look at the lilies. Look at the lilies. And listen, listen, listen. This is what Christ wants to say to us as a church. People outside should be like, look at those lilies there. Man, they are glorious. They are radiant. They are beautiful. Look at them. Just look at them. Let's go back to that first part there in 16. My beloved is mine and I am his. What a great phrase to memorize. Maybe that's your jam this week. My beloved is mine and I am his. See, she has memorized his words in chapter 2, that portion that we, we just read, and right away, the first thing out of her mouth has to do with identity. I am his. I am his. He is mine. I want you to keep your place here, and I want you to notice something with me. Flip over to Song of Songs, chapter 6, verse 3. And here she's saying the same thing, but it's a little bit different. And I want to talk about the difference because the word of God is just so like, boom, it's wow. We move too fast over it. Song of Songs 6.3, it says, I am my beloved's and my beloved's is mine. He grazes among the what? Lilies. I want you to go to 7.10. 7.10, Song of Songs 7.10. Listen, God's not redundant that he repeats himself. He knows that we're thick and we need to be reminded. 710, I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. Wow, what a bold statement. She wasn't convinced of that early on, but now in chapter 7, woo, he, his desire is for me. Come on, Delita. I know. I, know. <laughs> I hear you back there. So, so, so now we see 6, 3, and 7, 10. Let's go back to where we are. In, in, in um, 16, 2.16, and, and notice the, the thing that's going on here. In this one, it's me first. My beloved is mine. Mine, me, 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 me first. In these other ones, I am my beloved's. There is a switch. There is a, instead of my beloved is mine, where the focus is on me and what I get, it moves to the fact that, oh, I belong to him. See, listen, you might want to write this down. Every Christian, when you start out, you are so me-focused. What is this going to cost me? What are my friends going to think? How, you know, there's all these things around what, how's this going to affect me? But as you mature in Christ, you understand I belong to him. And if I belong to him, everything that I have, it's his. And I can live in a freedom, not worrying about the cost of discipleship because I know that the cost of non-discipleship is way higher than the cost of discipleship. And so now I can walk with a freedom and a joy because I am my beloved. I belong to him. It's not that he belongs to me, which he does, but, but, but listen, the greater reality is that you belong to him. Listen, he's stronger than you. He's got you. So as we mature in Christ, we go from a me-focused life to a Christ-focused life. Where are you with that? On a spectrum or a scale? Ask the Lord. 
See, some of us, tithing's still an issue because we're me-focused. The mature, they say, hey, it's all his. What do you want? What do you want? Serving, it's an, it's an issue because I'm so busy this, and I don't have this, and I don't have this, and I got to meet, you know. But then the mature say, okay, Lord, is this a season where we're running together? Where, do you, where, where are you going? Because I just want to be with you. See, in 2.10, right, the, 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 they were going to go to the fields and, and, and graze in the summer and the spring and the figs, and it's like, hey, I just want to be with you. You're calling me to arise. You're calling me to arise. My focus is not just serving, but it's like I want to be with you where you are, and guess what? Sometimes he's working in the field. Do you want to be with him? See, it, when you're focused on him and not focused on yourself, and even in marriage, married couples, Listen, what are they doing for me? Are they meeting my needs? The mature in Christ say this, it's not about me. How can I lay down my life for them? What do you want me to do for them? This isn't about me getting my needs met. It's about me dying to myself so that I can love them with my whole heart. What are you doing? How do you want me to move towards my, my beautiful bride or my handsome hunk, whichever one you're on? So, Christian, listen, how much of your life is me-focused? How much of your life is really God-focused? See, the life of abiding in Christ leads you to a place where Jesus was in John chapter 8, where he said, I only do the things that please the Father. Lord, if there's any way you can take this cup from me, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. If you're a me-focused Christian, that's okay. This is why you may be here today, but you've got to fix your eyes on Jesus. It's what he wants. It's what he wants. And guess what? Here's the amazing thing about it. As you delight yourself in the Lord, consumed with him, the promise is comical. He will give you the desires of your heart. The me-focused Christian says, I'm going to go get my desires, but God, I want you to bless me as I go. Understand the difference. One's Christianity and one's hedonism. And we've got a lot of hedonistic Christians I just want God to bless them as they do what they want to do with their lives. That's not Christianity. Verse 17, chapter 2. Until the day breathes and the shadows flee, turn, my beloved. I want you to highlight that. Turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the cleft of the mountains. She is wanting him. She is wanting him to come. And she's like, turn, turn, turn. What does that remind you of? It reminds me of chapter 1, verse 6, where she is telling him to turn away. Don't gaze at me. And now, as she's beginning to believe what he's declared over her, she's like, come on, come on, turn towards me. My young stag. I got up one morning. There's a little love thing on the coffee maker. And my wife's like, good morning, my beloved, my young stag. Oh, man, that, that just made me, yeah. She's received the words in 214, oh, my dove in the clefts of the rock and the cranes of the cliff. Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. Your voice is sweet. Your face is lovely. No more hiding behind things. No, turn to me, turn to me, turn to me. And she she just wants him now. And now, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, On my bed at night, there is this restless passion for Jesus. How many of us go to sleep with the TV on at night because we're restless about the world, about what's going to happen, about the situation we're in, and God understands that. There's no condemnation. But imagine every night laying on your bed, being so in love that you just can't stop thinking about Jesus. Whew you're just so in love with him. You're just so in love. 
You can't, you can't wait for the next day. You believe what it says in Psalm 16, that even in the night, my heart is instructed by God. So I go to sleep. Are you going to give me a vision? Are you going to give me a dream of yourself? I can't wait for tomorrow, but I, I have memorized Matthew 6, 34. Don't worry about tomorrow. So I don't want to worry about tomorrow. Help me just to rest in the fact that you love me today. You know, count sheep. If you, if you, if you can't fall asleep, don't do that. Get your eyes off the sheep. Look at the shepherd. Psalm 63, 6, just jot it down. It says, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. Man, that's a person that's in love. And can you get to that place? Yeah, that's why we're going through this book. God, please, God, bring us to this place. Look at 1B. It says, I sought him who my soul loves. Now, I want you to highlight who my soul loves for the next few verses because, again, it's another repetitive statement, and we've got to focus in on those repetitive statements. She says, I sought him, but I found him not. Now, here's the question, why? Why can't she find him? Why can't she find him? Well, the last word in chapter 2 was he was on the mountains. Um, What did the mountains represent? We've talked about this. Obstacles, adversity. Jesus says you can say to this mountain, be removed, right? And so... um, that's, that's what that represents. And just maybe, just maybe, okay, this isn't, this isn't doctrine, okay? This is just questioning that maybe she was supposed to be with him on the mountain, right? Because, look, if we go down to Song of Songs 2.10, he's speaking this. I want you to look at it. It says, my beloved speaks and says to me, arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. And then go down to 13, chapter 2. It says, arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Maybe she memorized the words but didn't want to go with him. How many of us have been memorizing scripture our whole life, but we never go with Jesus? Chris, how could you say something? Well, because that's me too. It's a me too movement. All of us. (laughs) All of us. We memorize and we study, but then we don't go with. The the, the key passage, right? Jesus, in in, in the book of John, you see four movements, right? The first movement, you see Jesus is like, come and see, come and see, come and see. He's inviting people to come and see. So you have to go with, right? And then he says, follow me, follow me. And now the people are following him. And then the next thing that you see in the book of John is the statement, come and be with me. But you have to go to the book of Luke, chapter six. Jesus prayed all night. He said, God, who are my disciples? He prayed prayed and then he chose the 12 and he said hey guys you come in and be with me so we have come and see follow me be with me what's the last part abide mature believers like we go everywhere with god abide 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 that's that depth of intimacy depth of relationship And so, again, I want to challenge us, church. We know a lot about God, but do we go with God? Do we know how to go with God? I remember when I started volunteering here uh, in 1998 as a new Christian, and they said, hey, would you, um," Bill Hobbs said, hey, I need you to show up every week. Well, in my life, I'd always start something and quit, start something and quit, start something and quit. And so I didn't say yes to volunteering because I had such a wrong view of myself and more importantly, a wrong view of how strong God is. That if God calls me to something, he's going to complete it, not me. So I went home and I prayed for a few months on whether or not I could come every Thursday night and serve. Finally, I did. And now I'm stuck here, 2023. (laughs) I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. I found my purpose, I found my calling, I found a family, I found a wife. 
Some of y'all are looking in bars for your wife, but she's serving at Bow Down or Urban Youth Impact, so sign up and volunteer. <laughs> All right, help me, Lord. So maybe that's what it was, right? Maybe she's just, you know, that's why, that's why she's in bed. Who, who, who knows why? We can, only, we can only wonder, but listen to what she does. That doesn't offend her. Some of you Christians, you're offended because it feels like God's not there. She doesn't do that. She takes ownership. Some of you are offended at, at past churches, offended, right? And you're just like, uh. She doesn't do that. She takes ownership. She says in 2A of Songs chapter 3, I will rise now, and I'm going to go about the city. Shout out to City 514. That's our youth group's name, City 514. Why? Because Matthew 514 says that we are a what? City on a hill that cannot be what? Hidden. The city, the city, the city represents the people of God, the family of God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go about the city. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go be with the other lilies, if you will. I've got to get up. I've got to take ownership, and I've got to go. I will rise up and go about the city. I want you to just jot this down, Isaiah 64, 7, Isaiah 64, 7. This is what it says. Is there anyone who calls upon God's name, who stirs himself up to take hold of God? Is there anyone who calls on the name of God and stirs himself up to take a hold of God? You see, there's a, a, a dual reality in Christianity, right? It's not a contradiction. It's a paradox. Two truths that seem to contradict, but they're actually both true. We're just not smart enough to understand it because we're human and we're not God. So there's an aspect where Song of Songs 1, verse 4, where he says, draw me after you. Draw me after you. But here we are in chapter 3. She's got to stir herself up. So it's a both and. It's, a, it's not an either or. It's a both and. Now, which one is my hope in? The drawing after. Because sometimes I've been so down where it's like, God, I don't even want to get up. Have mercy on me. Awaken me. Awaken the dead places in my life. You're the resurrection and the life. I feel so dead. And sometimes God will pull us into a place of dry seasons. Man, I, I, this uh, past two weeks, God has put on my heart. There's a, um, an album that I really love from like 2004. I wish somebody would kind of Maverick City it, if you would. Uh, but it's a girl, Misty Edwards, and her album is Relentless and it's, it's just awakening things in me. But I had to put that on. I had to go in. I had to sit and be still and put the headphones on and begin to worship. All-consuming fire, you're my heart's desire. Living flame of love, come baptize us. Come baptize us. Yes, God, come on. So aren't you glad I'm not on the worship team? And aren't you glad you're not in my house? Jacob said, I'm not going to let you go. There's this, right? So she's stirring herself up. She's going she's gonna to rise and she's going she's gonna to go about the city, all right? Is there anyone who calls on God's name, who stirs himself up to take hold of God? But the other aspect, Jesus says, no one comes unless the Father draws. It's both and. We don't fight about that. Calvinism versus Arminianism, we don't fight about that. They're both true. I don't have time to get into that doctrine. That is in our church um, membership class, by the way, so we do talk about that. All right, 2B. In the streets and in the squares, I will seek him, there it is again, whom my soul loves. I sought him, but I found him not. 
A few weeks ago, we talked about the different seasons. Actually, last week, in 2, 11 through 13, right? Winter, rain, flowers, singing, turtle dove, fragrance, figs, right? And so what I want to do today is I want to dive in and give you four types of seasons that you are probably going to encounter as a believer, because I've encountered them. Um, So the first season is this. Sometimes it's a season where God is not around because of our own disobedience. And when I say God is not around, he's always around. He'll never leave you or forsake you. (laughs) Where can you go from his presence, the psalmist describes, but there is an instant where we all will feel like God's not there. Feel is a key word. Like he's just not around, like there's a lid over our prayers. And so sometimes we can get in a season of disobedience. For example, David is the one that penned this in Psalm 51 when he sinned against Bathsheba. I want you to listen to this. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear the joy and the gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, nor take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Do you know God did that? Because David was broken over what he did and finally repented after the prophet Nathan came and confronted him. I want you to keep your place here and I want you to turn to 1 Peter 3, 7. Some of our husbands husbands in here may be like this. Like, man, I feel like God's not answering my prayers. I feel like God's distant. He's not hearing me. So 1 Peter 3, 7 says this. It says, husbands, you need to be understanding when you deal with your wives as she's a weaker vessel. Understanding? Yeah, I can't be harsh with her. I can't be demeaning with her. I can't be controlling or angry or upset with her. Because 1 Peter 3, 7 says, if I don't walk with her with an understanding, trying to understand why she's doing what she's doing or why she's not doing what, what's going on in her heart, God? How do you want me to move? So if I'm not moving like that towards her, this scripture says, God doesn't hear your prayer, husband. You're in disobedience to God. He does not hear your prayer. Your prayers are hindered. Now, God hears everything. But he's not listening. Why? Because of disobedience. So husbands, listen, we've got an important role here. We've got an important role. And so the first point is this. Sometimes it's a season of disobedience, and I pray these altars are up front. If you need prayer for anything, if you need accountability, if you need somebody in your life, please come forward. We want to see you get free and jump out of that season of disobedience because in the season of disobedience, Isaiah 59, it says this, my ears aren't too dull that I can't hear, my arms not too short that I can't save, but your sins have separated you from me. And there's a separation. He's not found. Why? Because we continue like a dog to go back into the vomit. The second season I want to talk about is the season of trials, pain, dark night of the soul. St. John of the Cross has a writing. You can read it. It's called the dark night of the soul where we are, we're experiencing a testing in our faith. We see this in John chapter 6, where Jesus was given some hard words, but in John 6, 6, 6, it says that many disciples walked away from him because his teachings are way too hard. Jesus knew that they were going to do that, so the testing isn't because God wants to find out what we're going to do. He already knows what we are going to do, but we don't know what we're going to do. That's why Jesus said to Peter, hey, you're going to deny me three times, when Peter's like, I'll never deny you. I will, I will die for you, Jesus. And in our pride and arrogance, God allows us to see man. There's a testing of our faith. 
Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. He was hungry. Satan comes, and there was a testing. Understand, Father God didn't jump in and say, hey, get away from my boy. Jesus had to make a choice. Is he going to be the first Adam or the second Adam? And what did Jesus do? He called on his father and says, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He chose God in that moment of temptation. Adam, he thought God was withholding something. His wife was under deception. He was right there, passive leadership, and he just went with it. Gave into in that time of testing and then hid from God. And so, guys, listen, we get put through trials and pain and darkness, and there's things that happen. But, man, what are you going to do? What are you going to do in those seasons? Are you going to cry out like Psalm chapter 6, verse 2? Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I'm languishing. Heal me, O Lord. My bones are, are troubled. My soul is troubled. But you, O Lord, how long, how long, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver me. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. I'm weary with moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. That's a trial. That's a test. But it's not a trial where they walk away because it's just too hard. Where is God? No, I'm coming in because I don't have everywhere else to go, Jesus. You have the words of eternal life. The third thing is this on sometimes why God doesn't seem to be around. And you might want to write this one down. It's a season where God shows us that we really don't believe his word. Some of you may just say, man, I, I believe his word. Yeah, I'm t I know most Christians do mental assent. But when it comes time to step out on his word... How we live proves whether or not we believe it. To know and not to do is not to know. Say that again. To know and not to do is not to know. I know you know it, but you don't know it if you're not doing it. And so God brings us into things like in Luke chapter 8, verse 22. It says, he got into the boat with his disciples and he said to them, let's go across to the other side of the lake. So the disciples went out, they sailed, and he fell asleep. A wind came, they were filling, the boat was filling with water, they were in danger, and they woke him up saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he woke up and he rebuked the wind and the waves and ceased, and there was calm. And he said to them, where is your what? Faith. Where's your faith? I mean, come on, Jesus, the boat's filling with water. See, he said back in 822, Let's go to the other side. Do you trust that he's going to bring you to the other side, even if your boat's sinking? See, that thing came because guess what? They were exposed. They didn't believe his word. Luke 8, 22, you can read it at your own time. So listen, sometimes testing comes, not so God can see what we're going to do. He knows what we're going to do, but the testing comes because it exposes that we really, really don't believe his word. He's not surprised by your failure. He knows it's going to happen before it happens. And the fourth thing is this. Sometimes there is a season of hiding. A season of hiding. Psalm 10.1 says this. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? This is a cry, not that God hides himself in trouble, because we also know from Scripture, God is an ever-present help in times of what? Trouble. But sometimes it feels like God's hiding. Isaiah 45, 15 says this, truly you are a God who hides himself. You're a God who hides himself? I want you to understand something, church. There is no Christian on this earth that walks 100% of the time with the awareness that God is with them. And it's because of that one thing that we fall short. It's when we get our eyes off Christ, we fall short. But see, that's the goal. That's the goal. That's what we're going for here. 
Let me ask you a question. What takes more faith to do something when you're feeling it or to do something when you're not feeling it? Oh, we, we, we got a lot of people that just want to get drunk, and, uh, drunk off the spirit, if you will. Yes, I need your presence. I need your presence. I need your presence. Listen, there's sometimes God's not going to give his tangible manifest as presence. Why? Because he wants to see, do you really believe this stuff or not? It's easy when you do things and you feel like doing them. When I used to get drunk, I used to dance. Because I was feeling it. I was feeling it. It's easy to do things. But dancing cold turkey? Sometimes God hides himself, guys, to see, hey, are they really going, are, 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 are they really going to press through this? Like he knows if they're going to press, he knows when we're going to press through. But, but sometimes, you know, the woman that grabbed the hem of the garment, she pressed through to get a hold of him. Jacob's ladder, he pressed through. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. There's, there's an aspect where, where, where there's, oh, man, am I really going to go forward even if I'm not feeling it? The immature have to feel it if to do something. And sometimes the presence removed so we can understand. I don't have to feel anything. I'm going, I'm going by faith and not feelings. And that's called maturity. You go to work sick for, for your family. You go to work hurting for your family. You go to work no matter how you feel, and you put in the time, no matter how you feel, because it's, it's, it's what we're called to do for the love of your family, whether you're feeling it or not. Verse, th- verse 3, the watchmen found me as they went about the city. Have you, and we're back in Song of Songs 3, have you seen him whom my soul loves? I want you to understand, watchmen, you want to highlight that. Watchmen, that's what leadership in the church is. Watchmen on the wall. First uh, Timothy 3, that gives a list of the elders. Titus uh, 2 gives a list of what elders and requirement for leadership. I, I really want you to turn to Hebrews thirteen seventeen, please. While you're turning there, I'm going to read 1 Peter 5, 5. It says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Again, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Look at Hebrews 13, 17. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them for their keeping watch, watchmen, watchmen over your what? Souls. As those who have to give an account. That's, that is a, a fearful verse for me. And for every elder, every leader in the church, listen, do this with joy, not with, let them do this with joy, not groaning. That would be of no advantage of you. Now, I want you to turn over a few pages to James 5. James 5. Verse 13, it says, Is anyone, or 14, is anyone, is anyone sick among you? Let him call the elders of the church. And, and again, that's, that's your responsibility. Leadership, leadership, leadership. How many people go sick because they never, never called on the elders? Understand that without condemnation. There's no judgment. I'm just asking the question. Look at 16. Therefore, confess your sins another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Listen, in our individualistic society, we come in and out of church and nobody knows us. Maybe, maybe you're not healed. And I'm not talking about physical healing. I'm talking about healing from, from past issues, healing from heart issues 
issues, healing from whatever, right? We all need healed things. The most, my heart is the most corrupt thing that, that, that I had that focuses on, I need healed from thinking about myself. I want the gift of self-forgetfulness, God, so that I think about you and you alone. I need healed. And how many of us are not healed from things? Prayer partners are up here every Sunday. They're going to be up here in a few minutes. And they just stand there. And I, I'm like, man, has our church read James 5, 16? Is there not anything that they can confess and humble themselves and say, will you pray for me for this? <laughs> it's just a question. She humbles herself. She humbles herself. Look at that. Back to 3.3. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? There it is again. My soul loves. Have you seen him? She's humbling herself. I need help finding Jesus. I need help getting closer. Will you disciple me? Will you give me a plan? Will you? Have you seen him? Sebastian, I want you to put up this picture, please. Of this is my son back in the day. And he's at Palm Beach Atlantic University and he's next to Thomas. Thomas, look at you. Young Thomas. Pre-marriage. And he's quoting Matthew chapter 5 from memory to Palm Beach Atlantic University. Both of them there. Why did I put that up there? Because for those of you that know me, I'm a pretty intense dude sometimes, and I'm trying to be more fun, right? You're praying for me, right? But what I've realized in my son's life is that he is fun. He gets it from his mama. There's a song going through my head, Help Me God. So... So my lack, my gaps, there's nobody more fun than turn up Thomas. And this is the reality of the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. And then not only that, but Stephen Hamilton mentored my son. Man, he's fun. And then you got Ryan Gunn. He's fun. And, and I can keep going through the different people that have effect on my, on, my, on my son's life that if I'm not fun, if I'm kind of boring, if I'm kind of intense, right, but he's going to bring in because God loves my son more than I love my son, he's going to bring the body of Christ in to give what is lacking because, listen, as you disciple people and pour into people, you can't give people everything that they need. Mom and dad, you can't give your kids everything they need. This is why the watchmen are important. This is why being in the city, the church, and around other liturgies is so important. We need each other because of this. And when we stay alone and we don't say, hey, man, I'm struggling, would you pray for me? God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He may come in and heal you, but I tell you what, your chances of getting healed go way up when you humble yourself and say, hey, man, I was on porn last night. Will you pray for me? I'm tired of it. I'm just tired of it. I'm tired of it. Will you walk with me? Verse 4, and then we're done. We don't have a second service, so. Scarcely has I passed them, the watchmen, right, the church, that's them. So the church did what it was supposed to do. We're going to see in chapter 5, the church, there's some church hurt that's coming. The church will do right sometimes, but the church will hurt you. But we'll get there. When I found him whom my soul loves, I want you to Turn to 1 Thessalonians 5.23. This is the fourth time. Him who my soul loves. Do you know that your soul represents sometimes the heart? It represents your, your, your mind, 
your will, your emotions. And so the soul has these things in it, right? And so here in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, it says this. It says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. So that's a prayer that you are going to be made complete in Christ. That's what God's will is. So there's a passage in Colossians that says you are complete in Christ. But here in 1 Thessalonians 5, that God's going to make you complete in Christ. There's a justification and then there's sanctification. It's two different things going on. And may your whole spirit, that's a small s, you have a human spirit, but then you have the Holy Spirit, which would be a capital S. We have a human spirit that is cut off from God until the Holy Spirit comes in. Then we're born again, and our spirit becomes connected with God. We become alive again. And then it says, now may your whole spirit and soul, 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 your mind, will, and emotions, my mind, how I think, my will, how I feel. How I think, my will, and how I feel. And what needs to happen to the Christian is that the Holy Spirit that's in us begins to stir us in a way so that I want to think your thoughts, not mine. I want your will, not mine. I want to live out of what you feel, not what I feel. That is discipleship. That's what God is bringing us into. And so I'm going to play a video for you. And then the worship team will come up and we're going to pray and close. God, he wants you to deal with the stuff on the inside of you. So that you live for his will, that you walk with the mind of Christ. That you begin to think like him. And you can cry out and say, man, this, 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 my soul is so in love with him, so in love. He's the one, he's the one that my whole soul loves, saturated with the love of God. Go ahead, Sebastian. I grew up in a home where my dad was agnostic and my mom was Catholic and we were going to church once a week um, to Catholic mass. And um, we were a military family. We lived in places like Japan also New Mexico, Alabama, England, um, and we ended up in Germany by the time that I was 12 years old. So around that time, I um, kind of started to follow Jesus. I, I asked a lot of questions though. I was skeptical about Jesus and um, spent about a year with my, with my youth pastors asking questions, reading the Bible, and then eventually around seventh grade is when I accepted Christ and um, I didn't know really what was going to come after that. So around that same time, I started to become suspicious of an affair that my mom was having. So um, started to get like phone calls to the house um, late at night and questioning my mom, what's going on? Who's this person that's calling? Come to find out um, that this had been going on a long time. And meanwhile, you know, my mom was in denial. Um, would just make a lot of excuses about what was going on. It's none of my business, these kinds of things. So our relationship really went downhill quickly. It started to deteriorate really fast. And um, at the same time, my parents' marriage was never amazing. It was always just kind of subpar. But um, at that time, their arguing started to become daily, just day in, day out, always arguing, never getting along. And um, I was begging them for a divorce. I was, you know, 12 years old, just saying, you know, you'd both just be happier if, if you were apart. So around 16 is when my mom left. It was actually the day after Christmas and um, she, she was leaving for a job overseas. So we were living in Germany at the time. And um, yeah, my mom ended up flying to the States to, to live there. And I, at the time I was like, good riddance. You know, I felt a lot of hatred towards my mom and a lot of disrespect towards her. So my dad and I, you know, we kind of continued life on. I graduated high school, um, ended up moving to Florida with my dad. Um, he got a job here in Florida and God's providence went to PBA. I think if I ended up anywhere else, I probably would have continued some patterns that I picked up in high school, drinking, partying, being with boys, like things like this. 
Um, but God had me at PBA, which was great um, because I started to gain more stability in my faith. So I end up at Urban Youth. I'm probably 21 at this time. And I would say just starting to mature in my faith. Folks that you know, come here to bow down, like Michelle Rasmussen especially, um, were, were my accountability here. And my, my work people ended up becoming my community and my accountability here. But the, the problems that I was having, especially relationally, um, dating or between friends, uh, my parents, Michelle would say things like, you should really try inner healing. Like you should, you should go to inner healing. But I was a psych major at PBA. So um, we had learned Ironically, that biblical counseling was like not a valid form of counseling uh, because a lot, of, a lot of the professors there are therapists, so they're very much in the mental health world. So I dismissed it. I was like, that's really not for me. I don't, that sounds too charismatic. Um, doesn't sound like something that interests me. A couple years go by, it gets mentioned a few times, and you, uh, eventually I just say, you know what? let me just sign up for it and get it done and let people know that it doesn't work. Okay, so <laughs> that way I can just tell them, you should just go to therapy, inner healing doesn't work. Well, I sign up, my application process takes a bit for various reasons, and eventually I find myself in the inner healing room with, um, with Carissa and Leanne. You know, we addressed these things that were going on in my heart um, with my mom, um, just dishonoring, you know, the commandment that says you should honor your parents. I wasn't doing that. I didn't honor her in my heart. And um, providing forgiveness through Jesus was honestly a concept to me that was foreign before. So I knew I could provide forgiveness. I knew I could say, I forgive you. But I didn't have that concept of it's Jesus. It's Jesus in you that allows you to forgive people. Because apart from him, I wouldn't. You know, I wouldn't do that in my own strength. I definitely still believe in the power of counseling. That's my profession. So I've started a counseling program at Urban Youth Impact called Generations Counseling, which comes from Isaiah 61.4. And it basically says that this generation will repair the former devastations of the previous generations. And that's what I think was able to happen through inner healing. You know, I, you know, a lot of my behaviors had stopped, but the healing hadn't started until I got into the inner healing room. I kept revisiting issues and masking it with coping skills and uh, psychological knowledge, but my heart was still wounded when I was able to provide my mom with forgiveness and she didn't ask for it. It's not a conversation that we had. It's just in my heart, I forgave her. Um, now I'm able to just walk in freedom when I'm with her. I don't feel chained to these things that happened in the past. I love her, you know, I pray for her and um, we actually have the best relationship that we've ever had. There were dev devastations in the past, but now um, we're able to start rebuilding. And that's what I pray for the kids that I work with and the families that I work with. Um, and I know that a generation has changed because of what God has done in my life. Mm. Praise God. <clears throat> hey, worship team, come on up. And uh, if we could just stand. We're going to sing prayer partners if you can come forward. Uh, Michelle and Casey, I think you're in here, right? Could you guys come up? And I'm going to put you to work praying for people, if that's okay. Michelle on the video, she doesn't go to Bow Down but works at Urban Youth, but she found a community at Urban Youth through people at Bow Down, right? So... Maybe you're here today visiting and, and you go to another church. Man, dig into your community and open up your soul. And that's what we want to pray now. First, First Thessalonians 5, 23. Your will, God, your will, is that we can agree with what the girl says and the bride says in Song of Songs. The one whom my soul loves. We want to love you with all of our soul. We want to love you with all of our soul. 
So God, do in us what we cannot do in ourselves, And we thank you for 1 Thessalonians 5.23 and 24 because it says you want to make us complete, whole, spirit, soul, and body. That you want to do that, God. And so we lay hold of that word. But 24, 524 is way more important. It says that he is faithful, he will do it. Our trust, God, is in you completing what you have started, what you have declared over Philippians 1.6, that he who began a good work in you will complete it. You are the author and the finisher of our faith, God. And I pray for hope today in Jesus' name, that, that, that those that are walking with a love that has grown cold, that there would just be a flame and a fire, God, that we rekindle, that we would say, God, you are the one that my soul loves. All of my soul is so in love with you Jesus this is what we want this is what we're asking for for a church that's in love with Jesus we lay this down at your feet God help us to worship you with all of our soul now in Jesus name amen thanks for visiting us today make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com